Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, November 12th. In today's news, Joe Biden's transition team works around President Trump's blockade. Trump's lawsuits challenging the election results continue to flounder, and the lame duck president lashes out at the FDA. But first, the big idea. President-elect Joe Biden has chosen longtime Washington operator Ron Klain to be White House chief of staff, sending an early signal that he intends to rely heavily on experience, competence, and political agility after a Trump presidency that has prized flashiness and personality. This is a homecoming of sorts for the 59-year-old. Klain served in the late 1980s as staff director on the Senate Judiciary Committee when Biden was chairman and he ran Biden's office when he first became vice president in 2009. A strategist with a legal mind and a political ear, Klain is the sort of behind-the-scenes hand that has been common in decades past, the kind of operative who's managed everything from the Ebola outbreak under Barack Obama to presidential debates to judicial confirmations. Often called the second hardest gig in Washington, the chief of staff holds what is traditionally the most important unelected position in government, not subject to Senate confirmation. The person who wakes the president at 3 a.m., who decides who gets to be in the room where it happens. The job's often gone to the most talented advisors in both parties. People like James Baker on the Republican side or Leon Panetta on the Democratic side. Under Donald Trump, however, the role of the chief of staff has shifted with the position falling to officials who are either way out of their depth, like Reince Priebus, or people who have strained relationships and limited sway with Trump. Bucking convention, Trump's son-in-law and senior advisor, Jared Kushner, established an independent locus of power inside the West Wing. It's one of the many reasons that it has been so dysfunctional. Choosing claim reflects Biden's plan to move beyond the chaos-driven presidency. The internal White House structure is probably going to revert to form with a single manager in charge surrounded by senior officials who also have direct relationships with the president. Mike Donilon, who was Biden's chief strategist, and Steve Reschetti, the chairman of the Biden campaign, are well positioned to land influential senior jobs in the White House. After a falling out with Biden's team when he offered early support to Hillary Clinton's presidential bid in 2016, Klain has clawed his way back into the upper echelons of Biden's trusted inner circle. Klain infuriated Biden four years ago by signing up to advise Clinton before Biden, who was then mourning his son Bo's death from cancer, had decided to take a pass on the race. Klain had prepped Clinton for her first debate against Bernie Sanders, which took place several days before Biden announced he wouldn't go ahead with a run. After the 2016 campaign, Reschetti, who also served as Biden's chief of staff in the vice president's office, arranged for a sit-down meeting between Klain and Biden, according to my colleague Michael Shearer, who says that that sit-down was a real heart-to-heart, and it helped clear the air and let both men discuss lingering bad feelings. At times, Klain appears to have worked literally with every Democratic leader of the past three decades. When he was on the Judiciary Committee, he advised then-Senator Biden during Clarence Thomas's volatile Supreme Court confirmation hearing. He worked in the Bill Clinton White House to confirm Ruth Bader Ginsburg to the Supreme Court. He served as Chief of Staff to Attorney General Janet Reno, and he was a top policy aide to Senate Minority Leader Tom Daschle. He also served as Chief of Staff to Vice President Al Gore, 
and he led Gore's legal efforts to force a recount of Florida's ballots after the 2000 election. Actor Kevin Spacey played him in the 2008 movie Recount. Along the way, Klain has developed a really specialized role as the preeminent coach for Democrats in presidential debates. He worked on debate prep for Bill Clinton in 1992 and 1996, and then Al Gore in 2000, and he literally has led the debate prep for every Democratic nominee since John Kerry, Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Biden. His debate rules for candidates have become a mainstay of both parties' strategies for these matchups. He starts out by telling a candidate to write their dream post-debate headline on a piece of paper. He tells them to dress so no one will talk about it. He likes to say that a stumble, fumble, or gaffe can cost you a debate right up to the last second. But while you can lose a debate at any point, you can only win it in the first 20 minutes. It's fun to talk about debates with Klain, but it is his experience battling both a recession and an outbreak of a contagious virus that could most quickly come into play as the new president confronts the nation's cascading crises. When he was Biden's VP chief of staff, Klain oversaw the $787 billion American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, a stimulus package that helped ward off a deeper recession after the 2008 economic collapse. He was considered by Obama for White House chief of staff during the second term, but that job ultimately went to Dennis McDonough, who had been around with Obama longer, and Klain said he withdrew from consideration for personal reasons. To be sure, he has not escaped the friction that is a constant at the highest reaches of government. He, he actually resigned as chief of staff to Gore in 1999 in the middle of Gore's presidential campaign after it got out that he was in the room with Bill Clinton when the president called up a reporter for a story about the struggles of the Gore campaign. Clinton had been trying to convey to the reporter that Gore's campaign was now doing well after initial stumbles, but Gore was furious at the implicit criticism in that message and at Clinton for delivering it, especially after he had stood by him during the whole impeachment saga. The fallout deepened divisions between the Gore campaign and the vice president's White House team, so Klain was pushed out. But then, in the ultimate power survivor move, Gore hired Klain back a year later after a shakeup in the senior campaign leadership, and Klain helped get him through the end of the campaign and then through the unsuccessful recount. Ron is married to Monica Medina, an environmental policy consultant who previously held positions at the Defense Department. They have three grown children. He was a high-priced lobbyist during the George W. Bush years, working for clients like Fannie Mae. Later, he went to a private equity fund started by AOL founder Steve Case, where he made a massive fortune by investing early in companies like Sweetgreen and DraftKings. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this Thursday. Number one, with Trump blocking his administration from cooperating with Biden, the members of the Democrats' transition team are under strict orders not to have any contact with current government officials, even back-channel conversations. Sean Sullivan, Lisa Ryan, John Hudson, and Laura Meckler report that members of Biden's team are instead making contact with recently departed government officials and other experts to help them prepare their beachhead teams to make the landing. The Biden team has drawn up lists of recently departed senior officials at every key agency to help transition officials get up to speed on ongoing projects, budgets, trouble spots, technology, and personnel. And they've created a contingency plan in case they get no cooperation from Trump through Inauguration Day. Meanwhile, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that at least 40 of the 500 people on Biden's transition team are or were once registered lobbyists Five people on the team are currently registered as lobbyists or were registered within the last year. 
A Biden transition official says all five received waivers from the president-elect to serve on the agency review teams. Number two, Trump has no clear endgame to actually win this election. And in an indication that he may be starting to come to terms with the fact that he lost, he's talking privately about running again in 2024. Trump aides, advisors, and allies tell Phil Rucker, Josh Dossi, and Ashley Parker that the president has no grand strategy. In fact, when one of my colleagues asked a senior administration official, what is Trump's strategy? The person chuckled and said, quote, you're giving everybody way too much credit right now. Republican officials have scrambled nationwide to find any evidence of widespread voter fraud that could bolster Trump's legal challenges, but no such evidence has surfaced. Save for a visit yesterday to Arlington National Cemetery to observe Veterans Day, Trump has not appeared in public since that wild speech last Thursday. Trump has been spending his days largely on the phone, calling people who he thinks will give him good news, even if it's not true. Trump has been raising the idea of pressuring state legislators to ignore the will of the voters and to pick electors favorable to him in the hopes that that could offer a path to winning in the Electoral College. But most of his advisors are warning against such a tactic and saying that subverting democracy in this way would lead to a massively destabilizing period of civil unrest. Legal experts say the scenario is also highly unlikely, and Republican lawmakers in Pennsylvania have indicated this week that they're not interested in playing along with a anti-democratic approach. Lowercase d. Inside the president's orbit, many aides find themselves grappling with a dual reality, pretending and some perhaps believing that Trump actually has a shot at holding the White House while they also look for their next jobs. On the ground, Trump campaign lawsuits challenging election results continue to fail. An attorney representing Trump in Arizona claimed yesterday that poll workers incorrectly rejected election day votes, but then the lawyer asked the judge to seal all the evidence that supports his claim or that he said supports his claim. But attorneys representing local elections officials convinced the judge to reject that request because making the documents public showed how comically flimsy the Trump team's complaint actually was. There is no evidence. The judge said it was clearly a show suit that was not legitimate. And Snell and Wilmer, the largest law firm representing the Trump campaign and its GOP allies in litigation challenges in the key states, has withdrawn from a major election lawsuit in Maricopa County, Arizona. The high-end firms representing Trump and his campaign are under growing pressure from other higher-paying corporate clients to ditch Trump. Number three, the number of new daily coronavirus cases in the United States jumped from 104,000 a day last week to more than 145,000 new cases on Wednesday alone, another all-time high. The number of patients hospitalized nationally with COVID is now more than 64,000. Of them, 3,000 are on ventilators right now. That's more than double the number of ventilator patients a month ago. At least 1,408 of our fellow Americans died yesterday of COVID-19. Anticipating a surge in new patients, the Cleveland Clinic hospital system has decided to postpone all non-essential surgeries requiring a hospital bed. In fact, hospitals in hotspots across the country are looking for ways to avoid rationing care, which they fear is imminent. But Trump still doesn't have his eye on the ball. The president has been lashing out at the Food and Drug Administration following the announcement on Monday that an experimental coronavirus vaccine from Pfizer is more than 90% effective. Trump is convinced that the timing, six days after the election, proves that what he calls the, quote, medical deep state deliberately tried to sabotage his reelection by delaying the results. Lori McGinley, Yasmina Boutalib, and Carolyn Johnson report that shortly after Trump heard the Pfizer news on Monday, he demanded Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, quote, get to the bottom of what happened with Pfizer. A few hours later, the issue was front and center at a meeting of the White House Coronavirus Task Force when FDA Commissioner Steve Hahn briefed members about the vaccine data. 
Azar, who is Han's boss, pointedly contradicted the FDA commissioner in front of Vice President Pence, claiming that the FDA's actions had, in fact, contributed to a delay in Pfizer's announcement, which is not true. He also asked questions that suggested Azar believed Pfizer's timing was affected by political motivations. Pfizer says it was not. Meanwhile, yesterday, three more prominent White House officials tested positive for the contagion, including political director Brian Jack. They were at the election night party in the East Room last week. And in Brazil last night, far-right President Jair Bolsonaro said at a news conference that his country needs to stop acting like, quote, a country of sissies. Then Bolsonaro, who's been a close Trump ally, said the following, quote, all of us are going to die one day. Everyone is going to die. There is no point in escaping from that, in escaping from reality. As he told people to accept that Brazil won't get COVID under control, the country's death toll from the virus surpassed 162,000. That's the second highest in the world, behind only the United States of America. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, November 12th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Homan. Wear a mask and stay safe. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.